Oh, yeah. Bird, can I get an oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Chris, can I get an oh, yeah? No, you can't for me. Oh, damn it. I <laughs> thought he was going to do it. I was proud of you. I thought we had him too. I thought Josh buying into it was going to force Chris to commit. Uh, But the fact that Chris even thought about it, I think speaks to the excitement level going on right now on this podcast, because guys, for the first time in a long time, FSU has quantifiable, tangible momentum on the recruiting trail. Uh, This podcast, uh, this episode of On the Bench is being recorded the day after five-star Sam McCall commits to Florida State. He's an athlete from Lake Gibson and Lakeland area. He's probably a safety or cornerback for Florida State, but he's also a phenomenal wide receiver as well at the prep level. So, guys, uh, let's paint a picture, I guess, where we all were when Sam McCall commits to Florida <laughs> State. Because we, we, to be transparent, we were having a hard time getting a hold of him the last week or so. We knew there was high interest in both sides, uh, but we weren't sure that there was anything imminent. So I was in my shower and I got out and I was drying off and I looked down at my phone and that's how I found out that he committed. I was wasting away watching a baseball game. Hour number four of it. After was, driving back from Valdosta Lounge. I was definitely in the best spot. So my brother's <laughs> been in town for the last two weeks and he leaves on Tuesday. So we're having like our last family dinner over at my family's house. And I, I'm not joking. I was in the middle of cracking four four pounds of stone crabs. My phone was in my pocket and I take it out um, after I was done. And I had 13 messages in our Knowles 24 seven group text. And I'm just like, Holy, you know (laughs) what? And, but it was perfect. I got to celebrate with some stone crabs. You know what I ate last night, Josh, a public sub just for you. Chicken tender public. No, no, no. I don't, Uh, I don't do that. I would literally zoom Josh while I ate that. If I was just good old fashioned turkey. I think we need to do an experiment where we get there's a right way to do the pub sub, the chicken tender one that Josh would enjoy. But that's not that's we got more pressing things to talk about. So uh, it was a pleasant surprise for us that Sam McCall committed to Florida State. I actually dashed across the house in just my towel. Pretty much my wife's just staring at me like what what's happening right now. So uh, get that visual uh, in your mind, guys, if you want. Let it simmer for a second. McCall is a five-star, according to the composite, a four-star with us currently. I think he's number 55 overall with us, 35 in the composite. I think he's going to trend more towards that top 30 than away from the number he's at now. Uh, As Sinone said, he could really play whatever the heck he wants. He could play either defensive back spot. He could play wide receiver. Really, really athletic kid. I think he settles in that DB. Corner safety, I'm not going to pick one. I think he would be perfectly fine at either. I did talk to Blake Alderman. Blake lives down in that direction. He's seen Sam in person more than probably anybody else in the network. This is what he had to say. Superior athlete, smooth and quick as a wide receiver. I've seen him play wide receiver safety and corner, and he's great at them all. May not be a better pure athlete in the state of Florida. I think he's best at free safety personally, but he's a fine corner. I'd agree with that assessment very much so. Uh, smooth is a perfect way to describe him. I think the, the way that Blake describes him is there when you watch his, his highlights, he is very effortless in the way he moves both at wide receiver and defensive back. I think FSU likes him a little bit more at safety, but uh, you know, the way they have their field safety play, it's essentially a, a cornerback. Cause they ask him to cover so much. That's why Renardo green and Travis J uh, kind of stepped into that role this season. 
some somebody once asked me, how do you know that you're watching a five-star in film? And I'm sorry, I once asked somebody that in a rankings meeting way back when. And they said, you just know. When you're watching a kid on film, you know. And McCall, to me, is a guy that definitely brings about that thought process. He is extremely good on film in every single thing he's trying to do. And he shows that he can do a ton of different things. And he does them at an extremely high level. And he has also got positive measurements, good testing numbers. You know, he's good kind of across the board in all those regards. So I think it's a pretty unbelievably good get for FSU. It's an unbelievably good get for a team coming off a three-win season. And I think it's a very positive thing alongside Travis Hunter, who in the updated 247 rankings is up to, what, number three overall? Yes. So you got arguably two of the better defensive backs you're going to find in the country, both expected to be on FSU's roster year. Yeah, to piggyback on what Chris is saying, after the commitment in the last 24 hours, I've just kind of been thinking back on Sam McCall's recruitment. And Sam McCall was one of the last prospects that I saw in person before the pandemic hit. I was at that March, that early March Under Armour combine when Sam was heading into his junior year. And I remember seeing him, you know, he's a great looking athlete, six foot, 180, high hips, long legs, just built to play DB. And he was one of the best looking prospects at that camp period, regardless of of class. And I remember sitting in on the Sam McCall interview, just holding my mic there, because I knew he's a prospect that FSU fans wanted to hear about, but I also knew there wasn't much interest or much traction with Florida State at the time. And sure enough, you know, he spoke and I had to bring up FSU. And of course, he spoke highly when I when I brought up FSU. But it was one of those things where I had to prompt him to to talk about FSU. Of course, he committed to the Gators shortly after that camp. And I just remember thinking like, man, FSU used to be able to get in on, on the top kids in Florida like this. And um, one year later, he's committed to Florida State. So it just goes it just goes to show you what relationships mean in recruiting, because that's the only difference. I mean, it's not like Florida State went out and proved on the football field that they're an elite program. No, what happened was the staff built a strong relationship with Sam McCall and convinced them of their vision and their plan. Sam has now bought in and committed to Florida State. Yeah, and Florida left a door open with a coaching staff change. That certainly helped. Alabama's been interested, but Alabama's never in a huge rush to go all in on guys. I think McCall's a guy they certainly like. I don't know if he's a guy that Nick Saban was ready to green light today, but to hell, that's true for most kids in high school athletics that Alabama likes. They're not quick to take a kid. They kind of take their time. Um, that's me not trying to knock Alabama, me not trying to knock McCall at all. You know, that's the way they work in recruiting. Um Sinone wrote a good bit about kind of the recruitment. And it's funny, you know, in so many cases, you're like, you single out a single guy for doing it. And you would think in the area it's Odell, or you would think because of the position, it's Marcus Woodson, or maybe Coach Norvell spearheaded this himself. It wasn't that, though. It was, take it away, Sinone. It was a group effort for sure. Uh, Marcus Woodson was a big proponent or a big component of that. But Odell Hagens, uh, Goat Hagens in Polk County, as Josh, as Josh Newberg has, has said many times, Odell is Polk County and, and Odell's relationship with uh, with Sam and just with different people in that area is one that that Sam McCall kind of compared to the relationship he had with Torian Gray, who was on Florida staff. And Chris alluded to that there was a departure there that that made it possible for FSU to get in on this and for McCall to decommit from Florida State. So or from Florida, excuse me. So so Sam McCall has his bond and relationship with Odell Hagens after Torian Gray leaves, and FSU kind of gets in from, from there. 
Odell keeps chipping away at it. Marcus Woodson, who's turning out to be just an ace recruiter for the staff, uh, continues to to harness that relationship. And then Mike Norvell, uh, Adam Fuller, all these guys are sprinkled in to help make this recruitment possible. So that was kind of the intel that we got from just talking to Sam is that is that he really appreciated the group effort and that all these guys gave different messages beyond just football uh, for his recruitment. I got something to add to that. Mm-hmm. I was told that the dynamic of that recruitment went down as um, Adam Fuller and Marcus Woodson were the day-to-day they were on the phone with him, texting, whatever, almost every day. Uh, Odell Hagens was was heavily involved, but he was also kind of used as like the closer or the big hitter. Like he'd come in in certain spots, certain conversations, um, but wasn't necessarily the day-to-day contact. But I was told in um, the, the hours or days leading to the commitment, he was kind of the quote-unquote closer of this whole deal. Um, I think that utilizing the whole staff makes me feel better about the commitment, you know, rather than having a one person contact one person um, running the recruitment. We've just seen where that has fallen for Walt Bell, Sam Howell. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example, Chris. Thank you. But thanks Chris. Ensuring that, you know, even if, if the DB were to leave, well, you still have Odell and the, the position coach with them. If the position coach leaves, you have, the DC and Odell, you know, and Norvell's also have, I like the way this recruitment was ran. You know, something that's refreshing is I've dealt with staffs that really cared who was on the recruiting profile. Oh boy. Like so much that I would get multiple phone calls and texts within a 24 hour period. Fun times. Like having to spend an entire work day on sorting that out on our back end of our system. On who gets credit. Staff truthfully cares. They they work hard and you know they're gonna get their paycheck and they're trying to put together a good football team. You know, I I put Woodson as primary, I put Odell as secondary on him. Adam Fuller could just as easily be on that profile. You know, that that's kind of how that is. You can only put two. So yeah, I just I think that's a good thing to see. It's good when you have a staff that does work together, it's effective. So one other thing, was there anything else on the call specifically? Because there's a few things around his recruitment, but I want to get into the Melvin Jordan deal from last night too. Well, Do you want to talk on that real quick? Let me get more scoop regarding McCall's commitment. Um, you know, we've been told that this could open a door for running back Jalen Glover. FSU's been pretty high on him as, as a prospect. And, you know, he's a guy that I'm definitely going to try to catch up with today and just see what this commitment means to him and where things stand between him and FSU. But I was kind of tipped off to that, that this might open a door for him. Because they're high school teammates, correct? Yes. Okay. Do you want to take us, uh, fill us in on Melvin Jordan, Chris, what we got there? Because he commits publicly and then that got taken away. And I think they were at Florida State together this weekend. So uh, kind of a, a strange deal that I just want to address real quick. I don't have to spend a lot of time on it, though. Yeah, Melvin Jordan, former FSU commitment. I didn't follow up with him about it, but from what I understand, he put out an edit on Twitter. He then deleted it pretty quickly after that he had committed to FSU. He was not a guy that is capable, in my understanding, of committing to Florida State at this time. He was very much a Willie Taggart recruit. I don't think he's near the top of the board for FSU currently at the linebacker position. I think there are several names ahead of him. I don't actually know of FSU being all that active with him, truthfully. And I've said that repeatedly on the message board when asked about him. So don't don't want to you know rain on the kid anymore. It, that's I don't think he meant anything malicious by what he did. I think it was simply he was trying to commit something he could he could not commit to. Mm-hmm. 
That's fine. Maybe we won't have to get into it anymore. I just know some people were going to ask and wanted us to be transparent with what we knew on that. So uh, let's look at big picture what this means for Florida State, because with that commitment of Sam McCall, it puts the Seminoles ninth nationally in the 24-7 sports composite team rankings, uh, number one in the ACC. FSU is one of, I think, five teams in the country with two five-star commitments or at least two five-star commitments. I mean, some have more than that if you're Ohio State living that life right now. But uh, but still, FSU is doing a really great job of securing talent for 2022, uh, but also 2023. We saw 2024 commitment with Cam Davis recently as well. Uh, this is kind of following up the, the success FSU had in the transfer portal. And, and with that in mind, guys, it feels like there is legitimate momentum for this football program. It's something that it was not able to get uh, when Mike Norvell first arrived, uh, largely due to the pandemic. We're now seeing those relationships kind of you know, pay dividends a year later uh, into his tenure here. I know you both believe in momentum when it comes to recruiting, but but my question, I guess, for both of you, and I'll start off with Chris, how? Like, where did this momentum come from in, in your mind? Because this is coming off of a three-win season. Well, I think it's been relationship building. 21 was such a weird class for them because they weren't able to build any short-term relationships that paid off because they didn't have in-person interactions. But with 22, 23, 24, and so on, those kids have been limited in the interaction they've been allowed because of an ongoing dead period. So their interaction with most staffs is via the phone, via Zoom, via electronic contact. FSU has been able to play in an equal ballpark to most with regards to that. So I think that's been a big thing. They've also been very aggressive at identifying kids they really want in 22. And they did that, you know, dating back several months. A lot of guys either late 2020 or even mid 2020, it was clear to the staff they were going to pursue those guys heavily for this class. So they've been able to build long-term bonds, multiple members of the staff keeping contact and they're selling a vision. And when you get a guy like Travis Hunter on board, who is a national name, who does have national appeal, that helps to kick down a lot of doors and, you know, makes up for the, well, they only won three teams comment or three game comments that they're going to hear from other teams. It's, you know, he's one of those guys that sort of is a uh, pillar of what you're hoping to build. And I think that helps. And McCall certainly is another one of those types. So it's pretty momentous. You know, to me, it reminds me a bit of 2010 with uh, LaMarcus Joyner, Jeff Luck, when they did their thing, they were guys that were kind of pillars. They were builders. And that helped spring a pretty good 2010 class, certainly a great 2011 class that played a huge role in what FSU became a couple years later. Yeah, they're not there right now. They've got a lot of work to do. But I do think that there's been a solid swing here for FSU with one in October or so of last year, they pivoted to we're going to go heavy in the portal to finish 21 because it doesn't make sense for us to try to essentially throw offers out and get kids we don't truly know, don't have a great read on just to fill scholarships. So they went to the portal, raise that floor, get those guys, get some guys that can help you with immediate returns. For 22, it's much more about build through the high school ranks. We've heard Mike Norvell say, I want to go this direction. They're doing that with 22. They're doing that with 23. They're certainly doing it with 24. And heck, they're already starting to do it with 25 kids too. So it's definitely trending that direction. Now you're getting some kids to buy in. You can build on that momentum. At the end of the day, you're going to have to win to keep it, to sustain it. But it's working in the right direction. It is a positive. And I think it shows that they're relationship builders. You know, we've gotten to interact with the staff to a certain degree because it's been limited by the circumstances. But in dealing with a lot of these guys, Alex Atkins comes to mind. Kenny Dillingham comes to mind. Mike Norvell certainly comes to mind. Marcus Woodson comes to mind. 
very easy dudes to get along with, to talk football with, to just have a conversation with. And then a guy like Chris Thompson, he he's not as, you know, he's not Kenny with that bubbly energy, but Chris is a serious dude who loves football, who I think definitely can communicate with kids and sell them on a vision of what he wants for his guys. So I think that's true across the board with the staff. And I think it's kind of, you know, it's taken a hold in the environment where they're playing on equal footing to most other schools in the sense of the way they've gone about building relationships. Yeah, I think right now, you know, the way we cover it is we're covering 22. Um, the last cycle we covered 21. But when we're covering 2022, the staff's recruiting 2023 even harder than they are 2022. Um, by this point, you know, the board has been somewhat narrowed down already and compared to what it was maybe three or four months ago. Um, on the flip side, the 2023 board is only expanding and getting wider and wider. Well, they're also, they're just not offering these guys. They're, they're starting to build those relationships. And um, Chris was dead on about everything he said about the reason for this momentum. And it's because the work was put in a year ago. So you're seeing them reap those benefits. So right now, it's not like they're just putting on some huge push for 2022. This is all the result of months and months of hard work. Yeah, they, we've said many times that the one thing we like about this staff that impresses us is they tend to have a plan and they tend to go about executing said plan and sticking to said plan. And the plan for 22 has been in action for many, many months. And they're seeing some of the fruits of the return or fruits of, yeah. Labor, fruits, of fruits the labor. all that and whatnot. Thank you. Yep. Struggle uh, in there, kid. You, you've, been, uh, uh, you've been working a lot the last uh, 24 hours. It's okay. A lot of sun yesterday. Let me tell you, those turf fields, that sun bounces on. Oh, the tire um, under them, the, the black tire reflects, yes. But they're seeing those returns. And it is very clear there are about 23 guys that there's no doubt they want in the 2022 class. And they're extremely aggressive with those guys. And with most of those guys, they have a very good relationship. They are most certainly in the mix. mix. Kevin Coleman, for example, was one of those high top tier guys that would be in the same breath as a Sam McCall or Travis Hunter, they're very much in that recruitment, despite the fact that there's some very good heavy hitters in that recruitment. That's just one example. But they've the board is very clearly defined as of right now. This isn't one of those where they have 15 guys on it at a position they need two, and it's just going to be whoever wants to come and take it. This is a matter of they want four DBs, and these are the four DBs they want. I'm putting momentum squarely on Mackenzie Milton. That's That's where I say it originates from. There's no bias. Why, he's a national championship winning quarterback, right? Uh huh. Exactly. But that was, in all seriousness, that was when things started to kind of feel like they started to ramp up a little bit. You guys remember that point in December and kind of what's happened since then? Uh, that has been at least a, a good starting point for for building some of that goodwill. Uh, to, to Josh's point about the plan and future recruiting, I just remember not to sideswipe the previous staff, but that was an issue. Uh, Clemson, Alabama, all the blue bloods were recruiting well ahead of what FSU was doing while I was playing catch up. And, and some of that was because Jimbo Fisher stopped recruiting in 2017. And so Willie Taggart was playing catch up constantly, but was never able to really get ahead of it. Uh, it does seem like Mike Norvell and this staff has at least been able to, to catch up for 2022 recruiting. And that's allowed them to at least start putting in good inroads in 2023, 2024, et cetera. Uh, but with what they're doing right now, we had a, a reader, uh, not, not I guess a listener too, but someone on the message board asked you guys uh, whether this felt kind of like the 2011 class for Jimbo Fisher, but in his second full cycle, and that was a really strong class for him. Uh, 
It, does this have 2011 vibes? You guys were around then. I was not. Go ahead, John. I think it does in a sense that there's like this feeling, this like feeling of excitement of if we can pull this off. And I think that's what we used to hear from Eddie and James Coley and Mark Stoops. And it was just this, this excitement and this genuine feeling like, hey, if we can pull this off, meaning like if we can hold this class together, if we can go on and have a great season, I think we're going to really finish with the class. And I remember them, those guys, you know, they were looking at 2012 and 2013 as the years that this was going to really uh, take off. The reason I can't say that this is is identical to that is because Florida State doesn't have the, the trenches filled yet. And that was the main thing that Jimbo Fisher and his staff really did. Um, Jimbo was an offensive guru, but he came and he completely rebuilt that defensive line. And I don't mean with just names and numbers. He rebuilt that defensive line with elite players, Uh, not guys that we got to squint at and say, hey, is this three star going to be any good? But he went out and got the best of the best. I still I'm waiting to see that from this this coaching staff. I still think it's a little bit more like 2010 than 11. 11 was the number two class in the country, and it won a national title for FSU. Right. 10 kind of set the – established the we're going to be better. We're going in a different direction. We're going to recruit at a higher level. We're going to hit on some. LJ is a huge one in 2010 for me. He's one of the better players that played for Jimbo Fisher here. Still a great NFL player. Christian Jones, part of that class. Jeff Luck, Kenny Shaw, Telvin Smith, Greg Dent, Big Pat Chad, Terrence Brooks, Bjorn Warner. A uh, couple others in that class included Cam Irving, for example, Clint Trickett, who did some stuff here. So there's those guys. I think this class can be kind of uh, in between the level of those two classes. I think they might hit a little bit more in this class than even that 2010 class. But I think it's more about some real good star power at the top and then filling out pretty well. But they're trending in the right direction. And momentum's one of those things where it can have an uh, impact on multiple classes simultaneously. And I think we've seen that to some degree. You know, they've had some 23 success. Cameron Davis, who they got in the 24 class, let's pray baseball doesn't steal him away. But, man, he is a stud. He is so good. I got to watch him yesterday. I love his film. I knew a lot about him. You know, he's a guy I've mentioned on the pod a couple times leading up to his commitment that he was an offer I was really excited about because I'd heard really good things. He lived up to it day, yesterday. He's an extremely well put together, good looking running back prospect. He could play something else potentially, but I think running back is where he settles. But baseball is a big concern there. Because he has a smooth, smooth swing. Hey, we'll get into that and some of your experiences with, with South Georgia in a few minutes here. We have a lot to get to still. Um, but, but one thing I want to follow up on with, with Josh and talking about this, this idea of momentum. And Josh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like even until like two or three weeks ago and just talking to you on the phone and, and kind of picking your brain on recruiting stuff that that you still weren't like fully, I don't want to say bought in, but like you weren't sure, I guess, where this class was going to go and the, the direction of it, uh, if they were building enough momentum to really establish themselves in a good place. Has that shifted or am I off on, on that? Because it seems like you're, you're kind of turning the corner on, and it seems like the Sam McCall commitment has been a big part of that to kind of turn the page a little bit and starting to kind of buy in on what this this coaching staff is establishing. Well, I've always bought in on the fact that these guys are doing the right, you know, to Chris's point, like they're sticking to a plan, they're working hard, the results just weren't there on the recruiting trail. And a lot of that was due to relationships. Um, I'm, I've always just been cautiously optimistic, because momentum is, you know, you got to understand, as fast as you can gain momentum, you can also lose momentum. Momentum isn't something that you gain and just stash it away. And you can, you can pull it out at any time. 
it's special. It has to happen. Things have to line up for momentum to occur. And when things don't line up, you can lose momentum just like that as well. So I, the reason I'm cautiously optimistic is because these games still have to be played. These games have to be played and Florida state has to come out on top more often than not. Um, I'm not saying that if Florida state hits a certain amount, you know, they're, they're going to lose all these guys, but let's just be realistic. And let's just look at past classes and past programs and teams that win four or five games don't don't finish in the top 10. Florida State's going to have to go out and make a sizable improvement on the field if they want to sign a class that they're capable of. Like the ceiling on this class is very high if FSU goes out and takes care of business on the football field. If they win seven or eight games, I think this can be a top 10 class. I think they'll hold on to the commitments they have. Seven or eight games is not a very good season by FSU standards. Um, It's maybe a good season by FSU standards over the last two or three years. But by any standard, seven or eight wins is not where FSU needs to be. But I'm saying because the staff recruits so well, seven or eight wins will take home a top 10 class for this team. Yeah, Josh, well, first, Josh kind of sounds like a guy whose past lovers have heard him. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he is right. It's The program needs to show stabilization. I think it's a good word to use. It needs to show that it's trending in the right direction. It's winning more than it's losing. You know, it looks like week to week that it's a competitive football team. I think that's the most important thing. The program's kind of struggled in that regard, certainly for the last three or four years. From a recruiting perspective with the momentum, he's 100% right about how it can come and go just as fast. You know, we we had some fool's gold momentum there early in the Willie time here, and that went away very, very quickly once the season started getting played in the year. only one. took a half of football. For, yeah. I mean, we, we were looking at a top five class, right? Yeah, they were treading for that. And, and man, they were even top 10 going into the 2019 season. They were top 10 beginning that year because they just you got in jail and not. You can't stash momentum, unfortunately. <laughs> But the last time you felt really good about established momentum was probably around 15, 16 cycle at best. So, I mean, it's been five, six cycles. So we shall see if it sustains. Hopefully it does. I think they have a plan and they're certainly out to execute it. I think if they win enough, they can certainly execute it. And uh, it, that's a lot of ifs and buts, but we shall see. When I was watching Sam McCall's highlights this morning, it was – it was the first time in a while where I watched a rising senior and said, wow, that guy looks like a Jimbo Fisher era recruit. Uh, it, it's been a little while where he had that kind of one that the two way versatility, just that elite athleticism. Like Chris said, when you know, you know, when you turn on the highlights of someone who's truly elite, it doesn't take but more than two or three plays for you to figure that out. Uh, yeah, so him, I think that's what's exciting about him. Him and Travis Hunter are different dudes. Mm-hmm. And Hunter and Hunter's film too. Like when we did the scouting report on him, he was a sophomore then too. He's only gotten better. You could tell he was going to be good, and 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 now he's great. And um, maybe that's a good time to transition to our next topic. If we don't have anything else on on McCall, um, is the updated class twenty twenty two rankings in the top two four seven? Uh, Travis Hunter moves up to five star status. He was already a five star in the composite. 24-7 Sports does its first update since I believe it was October. They did it this past week. Uh, so Travis gets that fifth star. He's number three player in the country, but we give him a 98 overall grade. Chris, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that that's tied for the most? Like no one else has a 99 grade. So he's technically, I mean, he's right up, up there in striking distance to be the top player in the country. 
Yeah, he's certainly in that discussion. If you read Steve Wiltfong's little side piece that came out with the rankings specific to Hunter, it makes it abundantly clear that one of the highest ranking people in our company, well, heck, at this point, from a recruiting perspective, the highest ranking person in our company, he thinks the world of what the kid can be. The funny thing about Hunter is I think a lot of people think he's as good of a receiver as he is a DB, if not truthfully, maybe even a little bit more special as a receiver. And that's just kind of nuts to think about it that way because he is probably the best DB in the country. 15 interceptions well, actually, in the past two years. Yeah. Say. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. So, um, he's absurd. And he, and he is recruiting hard for Florida state. I think that's oh, the cool always. part about this. Yeah. They they've lacked great bell Cal momentum in recent years. I would say I would definitely credit Hunter Washington, Joshua Burrell for sure for last cycle for the efforts that those guys put in the work they did the way they promoted the program from their uh, standing. But when it's a guy with five stars beside his name, mm-hmm. it carries a little more weight. It's a little, di- little bit different. And you also have a national stage to do it on. And I think that's the thing with Travis Hunter and Sam McCall. Hopefully we'll fall in line with that too. It was cool yesterday, uh, Hunter Washington and, and Travis Hunter. I'm, I'm going to try so hard to never say Tyler Hunter, but that's it's what like my brain wants to do. Category, Travis Hunter Washington. Just do it. Hey, or I'm Will Fortune, not Jeff. You're you're confusing me even more. Stop it. Stop it right now. Uh, they when we talk about culture and what the program like, we're hopeful that it's establishing for Hunter Washington to come out to a seven on seven event and watch Travis Hunter. So it's a guy who's a class behind him, but it's going to be playing a similar position to come out and watch him and hang out with him. That's cool. That's like the beginning stages of they're looking at this optimistically culture being established with guys who want to be at Florida State that want to recruit for Florida State that want good things to happen for them at this program. That's big. Um, going into the rest of the rankings, some these are all guys that FSU is in on who are in the top 150. Nigel e. Kelly, obviously, he's committed. He jumps up. He's 132 overall now, went from unranked to, to top 150 guy for us. Marvin Jones Jr., 15th overall. Kevin Coleman, Chris mentioned FSU is in striking distance for him, probably in the top two or three for him at the time. Right now, I know they're in the top eight, but they're pretty close to being the leader right now. He's 16th. Uh, Dalen Everett, cornerback, 28th overall. Caden Saunders, another guy FSU is pushing for, wide receiver, 87th overall. Jerron Willis from South Georgia, 139th overall. Sam McCall, obviously, 55th overall. MJ Morris, 95th overall. Uh, Azure Thomas from Niceville, 103 overall. Elijah Pritchett, 107th overall. Kendrick Law, 112th overall. Wesley Bizianth, I almost got all the names right before that, 116th overall. So, and, and that's also, we also have four stars like Julian Armella, AJ Duffy, uh, Ja'Cory Thomas is a four star. There are a lot of dudes that FSU is in there for fellas. Uh, feels a little different, no? Yeah, I mean, they've positioned themselves well in this class to do well. And the thing is, I think some of the guys who are still outside of that ranking are guys that we certainly like. Aaron Hester, for example, mm-hmm. is a guy that I know, I, I'm sure he was pestered that he wasn't part of it. I think he's still a three with us. I think he still trends up in the long-term projection of them. Quincy McAdoo, uh, probably, I think we all view him as as a low-end four-star. Someone should be in the 90s. Yeah, I'm not a prospect out of Arkansas. I think, you know, we see more tape. These guys have a whole senior year to go. So I'm not getting too worked up over an off-season. Two off-seasons have been hard by co- hit hard by COVID. And some players haven't played in a year. I think that these rankings are tough going early on. They're so subjective, even without um, the pandemic, this just makes it even more difficult, but I'm not too concerned. I think 
the, these guys are going to shine during their senior seasons and finish ranked appropriately. Friday night film matters more than anything in the world. Yeah. I think all three of us agree with that. But Under Armour's starting up this week down in Miami. Nike's about to start up. You know, I went to MVP yesterday in South Georgia. A lot more regional camps. A lot of seven on going on right now. Pile on seven on seven. No lover of seven on seven, but it still matters. What I'm getting at is these kids are about to be seen a heck of a lot more than they've been seen for the last 12 months. And that's going to help to sort this out, figure some things out there. There's a lot of work to be done with the rankings. We're further behind in rankings right now than we've been in years because of circumstances. And, you know, kids that come from small schools and smaller states from a prospect production standpoint, they're going to be a little bit neglected right now because you always wonder, well, is it the competition? How good is he? If you can get him at an event where he's competing with, you know, say, take McAdoo, for example. He goes to an event in Dallas. And he's competing with some of the best Texas kids that go to Dallas events. And he stands out there. People's opinion of him is going to accelerate. It's going to change. So that that's the point we're at right now. It's going to be an interesting summer and spring. Hopefully these events go well. I think testing is going to be a little bit more prominent at events this year as compared to as much competition. But you're still going to have both. And that's important. And uh, one other thing on the rankings, Nico Marchio, FSU's quarterback commitment falls from a four-star to a three-star I'll be honest, guys, that wasn't shocking just because his his junior numbers weren't fantastic, and, and that tends to happen in addition to the other factors that Chris said. So he has a chance to get bumped up to the four-star, but when we watched him, we probably thought like 89-ish range, nine, maybe 91 optimistically. So it's not too far off. I think he's an 88 or an 89 for us right now. FSU still loves him as a three-star, even yeah. like when he was a four-star because they don't care. Right. Like, that doesn't matter to them. So at the end of the day, if you buy into what you believe the coaches are trying to do, then that that's truly what matters. And I know the stars out there, again, we're talking about a small difference of like the low end versus the high end of what he is. Like, I don't think he changes a whole lot from, from where he's at now, one way or the yeah, other. You want, you want blue chip ratio. You want to do better in recruiting. Those are things that do matter. It is, you know, established over time that those things are significant, but right. I'm not here for hammering over one kid. Josh, you mentioned Jalen Glover as someone possibly with uh, with the same McCall commitment that could be kind of positive fallout. One other running back name I'll throw out there is Damari Alston from the Georgia area. I think yeah. he's pretty high on FSU, a little little intel there. Uh, anyone, as we're talking about Sam McCall's commitment, what's the defensive backboard look like right now, Newberg? I know you haven't gotten that far in your uh, your 2020 board updates, but do we have an idea of how many more they're taking, okay. who's kind of in the mix right now? Yeah, I can jump ahead and do the All math real quick. Right, uh, Florida it. State's looking to add at least one more, probably two. Um, they have two commits. Obviously, we've been talking about um, Travis Hunter and Sam McCall, but they're not done. I think right now, if FSU could pick, I think Devin Moore would be among the top prospects. He's a long six foot two, 175 pound DB, probably safety from Naples. And then you got uh, Azaria Thomas. Um, he's from Niceville, Florida, up in the Panhandle. He goes 6'3", 176. So you can see the length um, and size FSU's looking for in the defensive backfield. If FSU could finalize the class with those two guys, along with what they got, I mean, you're talking about a heck of a class. Probably one of the best in, in five, six years at defensive back. One thing I'll add on Thomas is comparable to Hunter and McCall. He's a guy that's pretty elite on both sides of the ball. He's also an excellent wide receiver for Niceville. So I think that kind of speaks to the athletic profile that they're looking for in the secondary with some guys. I don't know on Devin Moore if he's a two-way guy. I'm not as familiar with him. Uh, I know of him as a defensive back, more like a safety type. You know, 
is what I'm familiar with him. But yeah, those are two guys that I would certainly point out with in the secondary. There's a lot of guys that they're involved with. Secondary is a position they throw out a lot of offers at. They definitely like a lot of guys, and there's always a lot of guys to pursue. But I think if they're looking to finish out with kind of a dream class scenario, those are probably the first two names at the top of the board. We have so many different recruiting tidbits to get to here. This is a great time, by the way, to sign up at Knowles 24-7. How much longer is our uh, the 50% off deal going for, guys? believe it runs through Wednesday, uh, March 4th, the day after is actually the launch of Paramount Plus. The CBS All Access portion of this deal will transition into Paramount Plus, which is a better platform than CBS All Access. We're adding even more to what's being offered in that regard. So it's well worth it if you're someone who's you know cord cutter, you just want to have a good streaming service. You're going to be able to get live sports, live news, tons of movies, ton of TV, a lot of uh, unique specific to Paramount Plus content as well. So it's a pretty good deal. And Snooky, based on the Super Bowl commercials, uh, Snooky will be available on demand if you're into the Jersey Shore. I believe Rugrats is coming back too. Oh hey. my God. Hey. Da, 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 da. All right, let's see. There's so much I want to get to, but that's my point was going to be is that Knowles 24 7 is a great place to hang out right now. We got a lot of information uh, that often is, is put on the message board before the podcast here. It's the best place if you guys want to ask questions for us to talk about on the podcast. Like that's the avenue where we're probably going to be the most loyal at answering questions because those are paying customers. Uh, Josh, you wrote a story on offensive tackle Quayshon Sapp from South Georgia. He put FSU in the top eight recently. Uh, what's the what's the scoop there on the, on the big uh, South Georgia offensive tackle? Yeah, you can read all about um, his top eight on Knowles 24-7. But I spoke to him on Friday. He dropped his top eight on Saturday. Um, Sapp holds close to 26 offers or just over 26 offers. Narrowed it to a top eight, but I think the primary teams in his recruitment are FSU, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Maryland, and UNC. Um, he kind of mentioned that those are the, the primary schools he's he's in contact with. So I think that's like maybe six of the eight that he named. Um, UF is involved. Miami's involved. I'd say FSU and UF are a little bit um, heavier after him than Miami is. He told me, Quayshon Sapp told me that he plays right tackle and right guard in high school. And he expects to play right guard on the next level. He's six foot five, 340 pounds right now. Um, says he's trying to work a little bit on getting his weight down to about 315, 320. Big boy, powerful road grader of a, of a prospect and um, fairly high on FSU. Has a really good connection with Coach Atkins. Told me that he has a bond with him that's unlike others with other coaches. Um, sees him as a sort of... Uh, let me read it here. Me and Coach Atkins have a great connection. He's sort of one of those people that when you need to look up to someone, he's there as sort of a father figure. I don't have that connection with other coaches. Um, oh, I'm going to drop a crystal ball right now just based on that. Can that's a show? really good South Georgia program to get in at, too. Yeah, we need a show ball. So that, um, that's where uh, I'm doing it. Said, I'm I do think it now. I'll that's... make a decision probably at the end of summer before my season, so before his senior season. Okay. That's a timeline for a lot of guys right now uh, as they want to try to maybe see campuses for like a month or two. Yeah. He's at Lee County, which is where Jamie Robinson played at. Correct. correct. And then uh, who, I blinked on the name. I mentioned earlier, the linebacker, Willis. the four-star linebacker. What's it? Willis. Willis. That's right. Willis. Uh, so yeah, I, I love that Florida state is recruiting kids from South Georgia, which may be a good transition. Chris, you were, you've trekked your way about 90 miles or so East to Valdosta to check out the uh, MVP camp, which has a ton of, of hidden gems and whatnot. I, mean, I remember two years ago, Chris and I went and we saw Kenyatta Charlton the first time when he was only a freshman 
been tossing people around. He's his profile's only gone up. Uh, remember holding Gagnier, uh, now an Auburn commitment. No one had really heard of him before then too. Uh, Chris, it sounds like this year's talent level was even better than it has been in the last couple of years. Yeah, it was a real good camp. They segmented it. I got over there at 9 a.m. I was over there to about four in the afternoon. They did O-line, D-line early. Then they did running back linebackers in the middle there. And then they did pass catchers and DBs with quarterbacks there in the latter part. So it was kind of three parts. I thought D-line group was really, really good. Some real good young kids, for example, Stantavia Smith, defensive tackle from Albany that we've written about recently. He was very good at the event, had a really good day. I talked to him a good bit. Uh, previously mentioned, Kanaya Shelton from Brunswick was there. He's about 350 right now. He knows he needs to get down to probably about 315, 320. But he's a nimble kid for how big of a body he is. He had a good day, too. Uh, there was a young D-lineman from Jones in Georgia who I thought was really good, a 24 kid. There was a 2025 D-lineman linebacker who was there. He performed really well in the day. Offensively, you know, Thomas Casamanos was there. FSU likes him as an offensive athlete. He's a quarterback for Ware County in Georgia. He worked at quarterback yesterday. He had a really good day. He uh, he can throw it around the yard. Like I I was, I viewed him as an athlete going into yesterday. He can play quarterback at the next level. He's a little bit short, but that whole narrative has changed a great deal in the last five ten years, and he's part of that. But everybody I talked to that is. Uh, aware of Thomas Castellanos, whether it's someone that coaches him, someone that coaches against him, they all rave about him. Like, that's the constant thing about him is everybody's like, damn, he's just a football player. He does things. I think he had like 47 touchdowns last year. It's just absurd. And apparently not a very good O-line. He just makes it happen. You know, Kadarius Tony was a comparison thrown around yesterday. I don't want to turn him into Tony because Tony's insanely special and did it at the next level. But the idea of an electric offensive playmaker who can make a lot of things happen with the ball in his hand is what Thomas Castellano is, is viewed as. Um, Adam Hopkins, which is a Thomasville kid, Thomas County Central, another very good receiver at it. Kid from Macon, Xavier Hardy was there. He's a 2023. We list him as an outside backer. He's probably a D-end. He's already a very big, long body. He's going to keep growing into that body. He's a guy that I could definitely see FSU at least evaluating further, if not offering. Um uh, oh yeah, and Cameron Davis. Cam yeah, Davis. That, yeah, and we, we haven't I mean, now, we haven't talked about him committing. I mean, kind of did just earlier, but we haven't really spent time on that. He's a 2024 commitment, and uh, he's special, Chris. Yeah, five ten, buck ninety. I think five nine one ninety five was the official measurements yesterday without shoes. He is as put together as they come. He's quick. He's fast. He's big. He's impressive. He caught it well out of the backfield. He competed his backside off. He took a ton of reps. He went after it. He performed at a very high level on today. He's a special cat. He's really impressive. Uh, Landon, I believe it's Thomas, is the last name, Colquitt County, um, up there in Moultrie. Colquitt. He's, he's not a kid, definitely stands out. He physically just makes you take a second look when you realize how young he is. But, yeah, a lot of good talent. Rusty Manziel and Chad Simmons from – Chad from Rivals, Rusty from us. They put on this event. They've done it, I think, 12, 13 of the last – or 12 or 13 years now in a row. It's an awesome event. I loved it. I've done it nine or ten times over that stretch. I always enjoy it. They always have a great deal of eighth, ninth, tenth grade kids there that are going to be solid kids, especially from the state of Georgia. Decent amount of Florida, some Alabama kids, sometimes Carolinas, for example, come in and compete too. It's just a really good event. South Georgia doesn't get a whole lot of events. They do a great job of involving a lot of high school coaches from that area, which helps get a lot of kids involved. The coaching is good. The competition is good. It's an efficiently well-done camp. It's by far one of my favorite stops when I'm able to make it. It was nice to be back on a football field watching a football mm. camp yesterday, too. If 
felt like the first time I think about 12 months I've done that because I was concentrating on basketball when the pandemic hit. I don't th- think I did anything in March last year. So good times. Looking forward to it. Like I said, Under Armour is coming up. So that's the next one on camp circuit. Um, one name I will throw out there, 2025 kid that I think FSU may also take a look at. Um, let me make sure I get this name right. He's a talented, he could play wide receiver, he could play DB. Kandarius Reddick, he's up there at Thomas County Central, teammates with Adam Hopkins, friends with Gabe Harris, they're all in that area. Yeah, I think FSU's pushing the South Georgia may continue into the 2025 class. I love that they're attacking that area. That's really encouraging. Yeah, and after watching that camp with a lot of South Georgia kids, it, it's worthwhile. There, mm-hmm. There's plenty of talent in that area to help you win football games yeah you just have to go digging for it sometimes but it exists um i have an idea for content piece of content maybe something josh can write later today what are your thoughts josh on a who's next for tribe 22 vip article and we all guess we'll get blowstein involved too we all we all guess who's next i love it and you could put it together and get a content item out of it Let's yeah do it. it's Monday. He's, he's part of it i think we lost josh that's my fault. I haven't direct. I've tried to. I've tried to. I just enjoy Josh's. It's Monday. It's Monday, and he's about to take vacation. <laughs> go, so it's vacation like Friday. Yes, it's, it's the rare Monday that feels like a Friday for for Josh. All right. Anything else? These vacations. Uh, Got to get them while you can. Anything else uh, for recruiting before we take a commercial break? No, I think that's about it. Okay. Now take a take a look at the top target list on Nulls two four seven. I think that will paint a good picture of who we think FSU is being ultra aggressive with right now that's chris's way of saying he's not going to do a vip prediction article all right we'll be right back after the commercial break okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to On the Bench, wrapping up here with a little bit of basketball talk, baseball talk, and then we'll do a quick look ahead to spring practice, which like is in a week from now, which is really cool. Uh, Josh left us, by the way, because he said there's nothing for me here. So, Christopher, let's start off with hoops, a, uh, a tough loss this weekend, but, uh, but some good news, and that's in the form of a contract extension for Leonard Hamilton. Yeah, first things first, Leonard's going to be here for another five years, according to his contract, 2.25 guaranteed per year over five years, so 11 and some change, 11.25 million. 
Uh, like most Leonard contracts, super incentivized. He can make up to almost $2.7 million in incentives. He's always had that in his contract. Leonard will take less money. For example, he's paid 52nd in nation, number nine in the ACC in this contract. He will take less money and get those incentives, which means he's earning it, while also making sure his staff is taken care of. He's always been a big proponent of that. So I think that's important to point out. This contract is actually retroactive to April of last year when his prior contract had ended. He'd been working on essentially a month-to-month deal, same terms as a prior contract. This contract in many ways mirrors his prior contract. That means he would be 76 at the end of this contract at the 24-25 season. Uh, if he wins the uh, NCAA tournament, he gets a cool half million dollars too. So hope he, I'm here for him to get a half million dollars. I'm, I'm down with it. Um, but yeah, good for him. Tallahassee Democrat USA Today had that first. They were able to obtain the documents. FSU was very slow to make that known. Uh, they actually technically still haven't put that out officially. On the other subject, yeah, they lost to UNC on Saturday, and it was a pretty painful second half. UNC shot 25% in the first half. They kicked FSU's butt on the board throughout the entire game. UNC was giving it away in the first half. I think it was 14 turnovers for 19 points in that opening half. That was a big reason FSU was able to build a 16-point lead and a 12-point lead at the half. That quickly evaporated a 10-0 run for UNC in early portion of the second half. Closed it up pretty tight quickly. UNC soon after took the lead. I think they led to final 11:45 of that game. It, it was painful down the stretch. FSU struggled to make shots. You know, they, they worked to get to the line and then they missed free throws while UNC went perfect at the line in the second half. As I mentioned, they got their butt kicked on the boards. It just wasn't a fun day. Walker Kessler had a career day. He had been playing better leading into the FSU game. He had three consecutive 10-point games for UNC, his first career double-double or double-figure games. He scored 20, I believe it was, against FSU. Career game for him, but he's a talented freshman. Um FSU wraps up regular season Wednesday at nine with BC and then Saturday at noon at Notre Dame. Uh, they should go two and zero. you know, can't ever presume anything in the ACC, but those are both teams that FSU should defeat, which means they would sew up number one in the ACC, giving them a double buy in the ACC tournament with their first game a week from this coming Thursday in the ACC tournament. NCAA projections still have FSU consistently on the three line, a lot of different mixes of what one, two and fours they would be with. We will see how that plays out. I think at this point, FSU is probably living on that three line. If they win out, win the ACC tournament, maybe they play themselves into a two. You know, if they suffer another bad loss in quotations, maybe they drop a line, but they're going to be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament more than likely. I think that's about everything with hoops. Senior night is Wednesday. I presume they'll honor anybody that has senior beside their name. So, like a guy like Tenora Ingham, Raekwon Evans, obviously MJ Walker bunch of those walk-ons too who have made up the green squad the viper room uh they'll all be honored now that doesn't mean that they'll all depart program because eligibility is once again a weird thing so guys could potentially come back but that's one of those things where it's better to go ahead and do it in case the circumstances play out that way than not to do it and the guy never get the chance to have it so there you go and while it wasn't a great weekend for hoops uh it was an even worse one for baseball just because it was a drawed out three days of, of not, not looking great. Yeah. Baseball was downright brutal yeah. this weekend. They, they lose one, nothing on Friday, strike out 19 times. They lose in 13 innings, nine to seven in a game. They led seven to five in the ninth inning on Sunday to wrap up the sweep for Pitt. Uh, Saturday was also a loss. Quality starts are lacking. They're dreadful at the plate right now. They're striking out at an insanely high rate. There's a whole lot of tightness going on. 
it was kind of interesting from the press box on Saturday evening, watching how loose and excited Pitt seemed to be compared to FSU, who had some energy, but also seemed to be tight in many forms and fashion. It's just concerning. Baseball is a weird game. Sometimes you play like, you know, completely brutal, bad version of baseball, which right now at the plate FSU is, you know, they're in a rut, as Mike Martin Jr. has said. And you bounce out of that and you play better. FSU two years ago, midseason, looked dreadful, and then they make it to Omaha. So, yeah, I'm not one to make a grandiose statement of what the next 54 games, or I'm sorry, 44 games are going to be like for FSU in the regular season, but they got to start playing better ball. They play Mercer on Tuesday at home, and then I believe it's Virginia that comes to town next weekend. Virginia is no pushover. Uh, at this point, they just got to start hitting. Like mm-hmm. the strikeouts are the strikeouts. If they strike out and they're putting balls into play, then you're fine with it. Right now, the issue is they're striking out looking a bit too often. They can't get anything going with runners in scoring position. They've been bad on two out situations, which is a place where FSU has generally thrived as a program over time. It's not going well. And I think one thing they're going to have to pivot to is everybody's got a boatload of pitchers. FSU has 23 at their disposal, for example. Every team, because of expanded rosters, has more pitching than ever before. Pitt ran 10 pitchers at FSU in 13 innings on Sunday. If that's going to happen, you can't sit and try to play for walks and driving pitch counts up because teams are just going to be able to flip the script and go to a different pitcher, and they can keep doing that until they find a guy that's kind of going to stymie you. you got to be an effective hitting ball club this year. It's it's just a necessity, and so far FSU is not that. couple highlights from the weekend. Matty Nelson hit his third home run, but it sounds like he got banged up in that game. That's a negative. That happened on Sunday. Elijah Cabell hit one 489 feet. That was the most monstrous shot that I think has happened at Hauser. It's the most it's the longest home run with 114 mile, 14 mile per hour exit velocity. That those numbers are about as high as they've come in the uh trackman history for FSU, which I think dates at least five, six years. Trackman is the program they use to judge pitches, exit velocities, distances, all that stuff. It's it's a flat screen looking TV thing you see behind home plate if you're at Hauser. Um, so yeah, that speaks to, and I, I, I think I saw what Cabell's home run would have been like the fifth or sixth longest in major leagues last year. So yeah, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. Nobody moved. It was that kind of hit. Um, but yeah, not a whole lot of positives from Hauser. So we can FSU's two and four, oh, and three in league play. They hadn't been swept in a regular season series, three game series since UNC in 2017. And I think prior to that was 2015. So that's three in a six, seven year span. It just wasn't good. They, they need some good juju over there right now. I never know in baseball, especially like college baseball, Chris, like how how early to panic or what point should constitute as a panic. You're talking about three close losses this weekend, and I know the opening weekend wasn't great either, but I don't know whether it's time to, to get nervous or not. Pitt, Pitt's better than they've been. It's the best team Mike Bell has had in his three years. They're a pretty veteran group, and they got some guys who can actually throw it. So they are better. They're still not great. They're not world beaters. The problem is FSU loses a 1-0 game on Friday, a very easily winnable game. And then on Sunday, they really should have won. They were up 7-5 in the ninth. I don't know why they didn't go to their closer. They run Chase Haney out there. Chase is usually super reliable. In this case, he's not. He allows two runs to score, tying the game, forcing extra innings. And FSU did not play well from the ninth inning on. They had a chance in the 12th, and they couldn't cash in. And Pitt makes them pay in the 13th by winning the game. You know, so there's two games there that you easily can point to and say, man, FSU really should have had a chance to win those games. You know, one nothing game is one hit away from equalizing, if not winning it. And a you know game you're winning in the ninth like that, you should win. 
So they could have easily gone two and three. The issue is they did not go two of three on the weekend. They went over three, and you mm-hmm. can't do that. And the hitting is panic button worthy. It's not good, and it hasn't been good yet this year. Tyler Martin's been very effective. He's dealing with a hip pointer. Matty Nelson's been fairly consistent. Three home runs leading the team's a good stat. But guys like Reese Albert, Robbie Martin, that you're kind of expecting to be guys you can lean on, they haven't been particularly good so far. And then some of those newer faces in the back end of the lineup, they're not getting it done. Nander DeSantis has been an improvement over last year, which is a positive. But there's not enough of that right now in the lineup. Chris, you know it's a week and a day away? Spring football. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So spring practice starts on March 9th for FSU. Uh, just for some house cleaning. We have Mike Norvell and Josh Storm, strength conditioning director, scheduled for this upcoming Friday. I can't think of what, what – is that the fifth? What day of the week is that? Sound right? Yeah, it's Friday. We're, we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, so we're supposed to talk to them over Zoom on Friday. And then I think uh, that then the following week when spring practice starts, we'll start getting coordinators and players and assistants and whatnot. Uh, I think Chris and I will probably try to sit down and do some sort of spring preview podcast, either like that Friday, maybe Monday, uh, or even Tuesday, uh, sometime coming up right right before the start of spring or even a day or two after. So I don't want to get too much into it right now. Uh, the one thing I want to talk about, Chris, is like the, the one storyline I think that is going to be omnipresent throughout the entire spring. That's McKenzie Milton's knee, right? Like that's the first thing I think of when I think of spring and what we want to hear and get feedback from is going to be how that dude's knee's holding up. Yeah, the health, how it goes after a day of practice, how it goes after the first week of practice. Yeah, that's going to be like a constant check. Uh, I think right now what we know is that one, that little like one second video of him kind of limping in, in tour duty drills is not indicative of how he's moving. He's not 100% of what he was before injury. I don't think he ever will be. Uh, but people that we talked to within the program, like no one's concerned about him being a functioning quarterback at this level uh, with the injury. So that's what I would say to that. Try not to worry. We're also in really good things about his charisma. Uh, he's a tiny guy, but he throws the ball with a lot of oomph and, and he's kind of helping with the culture right now, which is why you brought him in. So those are good things. Uh, that's what we're looking for uh, as we start trying to talk to more sources and get more information and, and uh, kind of start putting our focus solely on, on football coming up here. Uh, anything else to add to that, Chris? No, I'm just – I'm going to be – defense is kind of my thing in the spring. I, I really want to see just that group as a whole. I want to see how they operate. I want to see how they do. I want to see how much they've taken to it. They were such a miserable disappointment on that side of ball last year. And there's some guys who I think have talent. You know, Kim Dent's a guy who I'm not ready to completely give up on, but he was miserable last year. I want to see if there's a bounce back for some of those guys. I want to – I think that's an extremely important thing for FSU in the spring. If there's a better pass rush, Jermaine Johnson, you know, if he mm-hmm. comes in and makes an impact day one with the pass rush, does that make everything behind him appear a little bit better than we saw last year? Right? That's going to be a, you know, and we're not going to know when the spring ends. We're going to know right. a little bit more, but we're not going to know enough. We're not going to know until Notre Dame comes to town, truthfully. But I do want to see, is it is it super concerning or is it something that seems to be getting better? You know what I wanted to talk about before Josh left, and I just remembered it now? I'm getting kind of nervous already for a football season uh, because what we're seeing on the recruiting trail, like we see the glimpses of what this can be under Mike Norvell, uh, but it's essential to to start winning games to be able to hold on to 
the the best of the best blue chip guys and to even if you can overperform this year to really open up more doors and and finish strong so i'm starting to get like some butterflies in my tum tum chris for uh for even spring just to see like hey or is quarterback position situated is pass rush resolved is jermaine johnson the the truth like i'm 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 positively anxious on those things excited i'm shocked that you have some anxiety all right for chris neen josh newberg this is brent brennan sanome for on the bench we'll talk to you guys later this week thanks for listening MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.